0: how are you doing today? Please tell me you're not tired. I am exhausted. It was a long weekend for you, wasn't it? Pretty much started on Thursday.
1: Yeah. Um, honestly, it kind of started on Wednesday. <laughs> people got in early because of Richmond the week before. So there's a lot oh, of people around, sense. which was a little unusual. It was also, uh, you know, Corey's first week and he had Martin Mueller staying with him uh, and Brad as well. So just a lot of people around. We ended up going out on Wednesday. Uh, after I was done doing some stuff. And then uh, you know, Thursday, basically everybody got in and then played all weekend. And I had a long Monday as well with a bunch of stuff. Monday's my writing day. And uh, and then today versus live. And it, it just, tomorrow will be a, a nice relaxing day.
0: <laughs> Tomorrow's going to be a nice relaxing day for me as well. It's actually going to be my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to, uh, what's the saying? Treat yourself or whatever. Uh, I'm going to go eat a nice meal. That is a saying. Yeah, no, it's one, like, what's the one all the kids say, like, is, uh, whatever, anyway, but, yeah, I'm gonna go, uh, maybe do something fun for myself, have a, have a nice meal, and then do, uh, you know, dinner with, like, the family and stuff, so make sure I do, uh, I still have to do some studying and stuff, I'm studying for a, uh, licensing exam or whatever. Oh, happy 29th birthday. Uh, yeah, exactly, right, <laughs> it's actually my, it's actually my 35th, but... I think we could call it my 25th because I actually posted on Twitter today the, uh, the, you know, the thing everybody's doing, the, uh, the, the decade, yeah. and they're like, you know, post a picture from the beginning of the decade and one now. And I posted one today and the overall response was, you look exactly the same. And I got to say, they're kind of right. I, I have looked exactly the same. Well, last all time.
1: I have to say about that is go fuck yourself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's really funny if you go, if you, if you find that tweet, uh, Edgar Magias gave me a little a little dagger on it, which is nice because if you go back only like a year or two further than that, I do not look anywhere near the same, and I do not look great. Uh, (laughs) I have some tragic wardrobe going on, some like really bad facial hair. I I had the the really big goatee. You know what I'm talking about? Like I looked like a basis of like a ska band (laughs) or something
1: like that. I can see that.
0: Yeah, that kind of look going. It was I had like long hair at one point. It was real bad.
1: When I was in high school, I grew a Van Dyke because I couldn't cr- connect a goatee. So, oh yeah, I like, just let it grow on my chin like an idiot.
0: I think that's one of the moments where you like level up, you know, with like facial hair is when, when you can actually connect it because I, I couldn't either for like the longest time, and then one day it just does. not yep. you're just like, oh look at that. You're, you're like, okay, I now I can start
1: beard. you know doing something with this instead of shaving.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got the full beard because who wants to shave? Seriously, that's cool. horrible. That Never want to yeah, shave yeah, again, again in my suck. life. They're expensive. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But uh, I got to say this. Uh, also, speaking of last week, uh, apparently your, your food, uh, you know, the, the food part of the episode last week was really popular. A lot of people were very thankful. Saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about that. Uh, you said some people came up and thanked you on, uh, at the event and stuff for that.
1: Yeah, over the course of the weekend, a lot of people uh, really happy with the, the food recommendations in Roanoke. Whereas, you know, the last couple of invitationals, I got people coming up to me being like, I did not eat a single good meal and i said well you just didn't go to the right places you're an idiot you should have asked me beforehand and now people ask me beforehand and lo and behold they were very happy with the meals they ate
0: i gotta say i think the first like two to three times i spent uh time any amount of time in roanoke i was that idiot like I, i did i was just like man this food sucks this place is like i don't know roanoke feels like the 70s or 80s to me like when i walked around it and stuff i was like this is this is horrible and then yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. You get what I'm saying. Like the way it looks, the way it feels, and then you know, just getting to hang out with you and a couple of the other locals and like trying out the better spots. Especially like when you took me downtown, I was like, all right, this is where I, this is where I should have been. You know, like this, this yes. is this is my kind of stuff. I'm yeah. I'm downtown
1: Roanoke is nice. It's not big, yeah. but it's nice.
0: Look for for all the shit that hipsters get, they know how to make food. They have like really good food and stuff. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm big into that. So
1: we sent a lot of people to Jack Brown's, to Martins, to. Uh, you know Oriental House to yeah it was it was a nice time. We, we <laughs> after the after the SCG after party, so it's about one a.m. on Sunday, and uh we headed across downtown to Jack Brown's for one more drink and some food if people were hungry. And uh, I am a, a frequenter of Jack Brown's, and I'm usually there late, and they're always open till two, and I hap- I knew the bartender working that night, and I knew the doorman working that night, and I frequently talk with them, especially when it gets slow. And I walked in. It was one of the first couple of people in there, and I I looked at them, and, was, and they said, just you? I was like, no, nah, I got a crew tonight. <laughs> and yeah. 15 people followed me in over the next 10 minutes. We nice. slammed them at like 120. God, I hope everybody tipped well.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, if they tip well. I'm sure they're fine with it. Otherwise, they're going to be like... That damn Ross Merriam and his you know bad tipping magic players or whatever. But yeah,
1: no, I, I gave him a yeah. solid fifty percent. So
0: nice. Does everything shut down at two a.m.? Two a.m. is the
1: time you are legally uh, not allowed to sell uh, alcohol pests, So bars close at two. There's one club that is only open Friday Saturday that will stay open till three and just collect alcohol at two.
0: Yeah, I got you. I was gonna say we uh, we're the same here, but you know, I lived in Vegas for like four or five years, and that was a that was a big adjustment back you know whenever you would go somewhere because like everything in vegas is open 24 7 like you can go grocery shopping at like 4 in the morning and there's just tons of people doing it too because everybody's on different schedules and stuff so
1: is there Um, a limit to when you can sell alcohol in vegas no no because i I know in in new york city it's four
0: um okay so like here's the thing i've never tested it and i don't think anybody enforces it if there is a thing yeah but there's just alcohol everywhere and there's gambling everywhere. Like you go into a grocery store or a, uh, like a gas station, like, you know, like a, like a Axon or something. And they have their own like separate rooms where there's like slot machines and stuff. Oh, I mean, wow. It's just, it's it's separate just rooms. It, yeah. It well, it's, it's not like it's, um it's like a sequestered off into like a, a, a corner yeah. or something. You know what I mean? Every
1: corner store in Roanoke has like two, you know, electronic gaming machines of some kind, usually near the door.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, it's usually towards the front, which makes sense. You know, they want you that'd be like the first place you see and go. Anyway, (laughs) so uh, yeah, there was the Invitational this weekend. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to review, a lot of really cool uh, Pioneer decks to take a look at because that was really on show this weekend for the first time in like a really, really big way. Right, like This is the biggest Pioneer tournament to date, as far as we know. Like, I don't, I don't think anything's going on in another country, and I think it was bigger. So this is our first real big push into Pioneer live, like paper-wise. And it didn't disappoint. Uh, I watched every round of Pioneer play at home. By the way, I was really jealous of everybody getting to play <laughs> and uh, getting to go out and go eat and stuff. I, I think I miss the camaraderie more than I miss the competing more than anything else right now, but we'll see. And the gathering, uh, as they so, say. Yeah, yeah, it's you you come for the gathering, exactly. And there was one over prevailing thing, you know, deck that busted out this weekend. And we had kind of alluded to it on the show that this deck, we know, was putting up results and doing pretty well. It won a PTQ, um, what was it last week? Two weeks ago? I think it was last week. Wanna Yeah, won a PTQ last week. You ended up playing this this deck in the event, and it also ended up winning the invitational um undefeated, by the way. It did not lose a match. Uh you said you seven won. In the pioneer portion, and with you know some with some better draws, maybe even 8 eight o. And I'm obviously talking about uh mono black aggro. Oh, and hold on,
1: did, did Chris Barone go like six o two? He just draw the last two. Uh, I I don't know where he. The last two were modern. Was he in? The, I didn't think he was in the seven one or better list.
0: Oh, I I I heard he only lost. I thought he only lost one round the whole weekend. I thought it was modern.
1: That does not appear to be the case.
0: I could I could just be wrong. That's what they were saying during coverage. Oh no, here like he is.
1: No, I bad. He's actually literally the first list. Okay. We just crushed everybody.
0: Yeah, and you swept the top eight, and I'm obviously talking about mono black Aggro. And uh, you decided to play this deck. You know, you and I had some chats before the tournament. We both liked its position. You know, we like it being, being able to play on the play and the draw versus elf decks, you know, the eight elf decks, and just a lot going on. Uh, why did you choose it? Because I've got to believe Chris had some very similar thoughts to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the deck is incredibly well built, and it does... One thing that I particularly like in magic in that it plays both a low curve and a relatively high land count which you would think are, you know, antithetical to each other. But if you are able to do that effectively, it means you have a lot of things to do with your mana as the game goes long even with your low curve and juxtaposing those two things against each other means that you are very unlikely to stumble. You know, you're going to make your first 3 land drops in almost every game with a 24 land deck. But so you're, you're not going to stumble, but it also means you're not going to flood. This deck has so much to do with its mana going along, even though its curve almost stops at three. Just three copies of Rankle, Master of Pranks in the stock list in the main. But between Bloodsoaked Champion and Scrappy are coming back, between Murderous Rider being two cards, between Knight of the Ebon Legion, sinking mana into that, Castle Twain and Mutavault, sinking mana into those, and then Smuggler's Copter potentially discarding extra lands that you don't need, You never, you almost never flood. And there were games that I was playing where I'm actively discarding the Scrappy Scroungers and the Bloodsoaked Champions to my copters, making seven land drops over the course of the game and still just using all of my mana and drawing so many extra cards, generating this huge resource advantage. It's really impressive to see out of a deck that can also just kill you on turn four.
0: Yeah. I was super impressed with this deck when you and I were playing it through leagues and like, um, you know, I watched it a lot. It looked unbelievable while you're on camera. Um, one of the cool things I like about it, when you look at this on paper, like I'm looking at the list right now on StarCityGames.com, it looks like an old school magic deck, right? It's just a bunch of four ofs. You know, you have like your one gutter bones, your three wrinkles, but everything else is like four ofs and then 15 basic lands. Like this looks like the way we built decks in like 2003. You know what I mean? And I really, really like the deck, like you said. And then, yeah, you get to play all these extra lands, but Castle Lockdown and Mutavolt are practically spells. Yes, yeah, especially along with it. Yeah, mutavault. So that was the thing I liked about this. I felt that this was probably one of the better thought season fatal push decks, and then possibly the best smuggler copter. Probably the best smuggler copter deck.
1: It's not close.
0: Yeah, and that's a card that you know uh, we you know we we have every Monday when we uh, we normally record that's the show.
1: Right. Praying to the magic gods to not get smugglers copter banned. I wrote about this deck this week for my article. I literally finished the article like five minutes before the ban announcement came up. And if Copter got banned, I was just gonna have to write a new article.
0: Yeah, and I was about to say, I, I thought there was a chance that it got banned. I didn't think it was gonna happen, but uh kind of switching to that real quick, there was no bannings this week, and they're saying there's gonna be no bannings next week. Unless something crazy happens or whatever, which We'll get to something in a minute. There there's a chance that something might pop up because this deck is very popular. We'll get into that a little bit a bit a little bit later, but overall, I think this right now is not only a deck that's well positioned against the other um very popular decks like you know like the tier 1 kind of thing of the format, which I think is you know one of the reasons it succeeded. It's kind of like what you said earlier when you alluded to. It. I think this is probably the most well-built deck right now too. Like you know the tightest list. Kind of thing. yeah, no, definitely. and I think that's where you're seeing it shine.
1: I agree, and um, you know the one thing I will say about it is that I think it was a little, it was definitely under the radar. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about this deck going into the week. I heard right. people say, "Yeah, I kind of like that deck," but nobody was really excited saying this is going to be the breakout deck of the tournament. Everybody was focused on the green decks. You know, green decks were what everyone was targeting. Green decks is what were, was on ever, the forefront of everyone's mind. Like, are they still great, even though you know two other cards got banned? You know, uh, and you know how do we rebuild the devotion deck in the wake of those bans? That's what everybody was targeting. Now, that certainly means that there's room to target mono black moving forward. And its position will likely get a little bit worse, but there's only so much you can do to target a deck whose removal is so wide ranging. You know, has the best one mana removal spell in the format, and then a three mana removal spell that kills basically everything. It has Thoughtseize. You know, it's a it's a creature deck that is pretty good against sweepers. That said, the exile sweepers should get see an up- uptick in play. Yeah. Things like Anger of the Gods and Coil, um, not, not Flame Tendrils. What's the The cry the canary
0: yeah even stuff like lava coil or magma spray might start showing up more yeah
1: magma spray for sure i think lava coil is a little inefficient but spray seems great um uh so yeah cards like that are going to be good so i I actually think your castle lock the wings are probably going to get more important as people have better answers for your stuff um but then you know there's things that this deck can do to adapt too so uh I definitely think it's just a, a tier one deck moving forward I like that in the wake of the bands you know everybody said we need to you know just rebuild mono green and green is still good uh, but it looks like we have a much more balanced meta game right now you know pre-ban it looked like it was literally just green and then a little bit of the felladar combo and those two were head and shoulders above everything else uh, this format, Mono Black is a nice aggressive strategy. There's a couple of different ways to take the Green deck, whether you're a straight Devotion or Hardened Scales, uh, and then we also have these Field of the Dead decks. And uh, you know the other sort of breakout deck of the tournament was this Golgari Field deck that uh, Autumn Burchett and Sam Black took to the tournament, and Autumn you know m- made a very deep run with this deck. Looks awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know if you look at it, it looks kind of like the Golgari mid-ish range decks kind of you know what you'd expect you see like abrupt decays you see fatal pushes you see thought seizes but then you just see these four hour of promise in the deck and you look in the land section and you've got you know four field of the dead and then just bunches of ones and twos
1: yeah but it's all just different golgari dual lands and different utility right. lands that are effectively like you know more forests and swamps so You know, the mana base is not bad. We're not playing a ton of colorless lands here that mess up with what we're doing. You know, we still have plenty of colored sources who still are able to, you know, uh, cast our spells. But when you think about a mid-range deck, you know, Hour of Promise ends up being five mana, make four zombies, get two lands. Now I can use all these utility lands that I have. And every other land drop I play for the rest of the game makes two zombies.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're actually playing deserts a yeah, because you're actually playing deserts in this deck, so you are triggering the part of our promise. I've seen a lot of our promise decks in this format that don't actually have deserts. You know, they're just trying to go get field of the dead, you know, and do stuff from there. So here you're getting like the whole buffalo, as you like to say, with our promise. You're getting all of it together. You also have tireless tracker in your deck, kind of like helping get card advantage from playing all these extra lands and stuff like that. The one thing I want to ask you about this deck is just, you know, your first impression or whatever. Do you think this is a deck that could actually be a player going forward in the format, or is this something that you know, like, Autumn definitely got a lot of percentage points because they they found a deck that people hadn't seen yet, and they didn't know the ranges of her deck and stuff, of their deck and stuff yet.
1: No, I think this deck is great. I think this is the best field of the deck I've seen. Um, You know, on versus live a week or two ago, we played an Azorius control deck that had played four fields of the dead, maybe three, and then just diversified its dual lands a lot. And... I want, I had been w- wondering since I saw that deck, like, is that something we should be doing more of in you know our other decks? Because there's a lot of dual lands, and like, yeah, it's a downgrade to be playing a Land War Waste instead of a Blooming Marsh, or might be a downgrade to be playing a Temple of whatever a Malady, uh instead of you know more copies of Overgrown Tomb and Woodland Cemetery. You know, that makes your mana base slightly worse, but in it, you know, in return. You get this incredible late game engine and you get to play Hour of Promise as this great go over the top card. Uh, and you do it in a deck that isn't just a straight ramp deck, a deck that is actually interacting on the uh, you know first two to three turns of the game. I think that is an incredibly powerful combination because people are going to try to slow down to match up better against your removal spells. But if they do that, they're not beating this Field of the Dead engine. Like This this is the late game of Pioneer right now. There might be more powerful things to do. I don't know, like Ugin is probably pretty good. But those other really good late game trumps, they come in shells that don't interact well in the early game. This is one that is 90% of what those are in the late game while being infinitely better on turns one through three. And, you know, I I think that's true here, even compared to the other Field of the Dead decks we've seen. And we'll get to one of those a little bit later.
0: Yeah, and some of my big likes about this deck. So the the one it has a one mana uh, mana creature in this deck and they they chose to use gilded goose over any of the elves and I think this is just a smart inclusion because you know a it's it's a zero two it can maybe block a little bit better in some spots you know, that doesn't come up very much but the fact that it has a mana sink into it for later in the games too like when you have all this extra mana and you're making all these extra land drops creating extra food allows you to kind of like stay alive and you know make sure that you're getting to leverage field of the dead and then not to mention that having a one mana accelerant and also playing four Elvis Rejuvenators in your deck gives you that like nut draw of like Gilded Goose into like Reju- Rejuvenator into like just a lot of stuff like, you know, Tireless Tracker into a land or, you know, like maybe, you know, uh, into Hour of Promise, just all kinds of cool stuff you can do with like your higher end, like five to 10% draws that are just going to be very unbeatable out of this deck.
1: Yeah, no, there's a, a you know, there's a lot of lands in the stack. You need to have a lot of things to do with your mana and this also isn't a deck that needs to absolutely have access to its mana creature on every single turn. I think particularly for this deck, the jump from one to three is really important. You know, if you're playing proactively, if your opponent's not putting creatures down that you need to kill, you're you're you are you do not have a proactive two-mana play in this deck. So being able to ramp straight into Rejuvenator or into Tireless Tracker, super good. And then the next turn, you know, you can interact with them and make a, you know, make a clue and crack it or interact with them and make a food. Uh, and d- do stuff like that. So uh, I was a little skeptical of the Gilded Goose when I first saw it, but we played this deck on Versus Live today and, you know, it definitely looked much better than I expected it to be. And, you know, with players at, at the quality of Sam Black and and Brachette playing it, I shouldn't have been surprised.
0: Right. And I, I got to say this, this deck's really sweet with uh, the, the once upon a Times, like later in the game, because it's always finding you like, you know, that land that you don't have yet. Like, you know, the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, the ninth, different kind of land. So it's triggering Field of the Dead. Um, it's just like kind of a card advantage engine if you find something like Tireless Tracker, of course, or Crew Fix. So, or even like Murder's rider So I actually like this deck's usage of Once Upon a Time later in the game. It feels like one of the better decks that's, you know, it's going to be great, obviously, when you get to cast it for free, but it's going to be very good when you get it uh, late in the game. Yeah,
1: you know, in this deck, it can find a removal spell, it can find a threat, or it can find mana and like, you know, a little bit of uh, utility in what your lands have. So there's a lot of versatility here, even if you're not going to you know, necessarily always have access to those cards. You know, there's only one murderous rider. You're not going to hit it all the time, but it will help you dig hard towards a removal spell. Uh, whereas, you know, most decks once upon a times will not. Uh, there is one card in this deck that I also think is an, an incredible innovation for not just, ooh, ooh. you know, Golgari Field, but Field of the Dead in general.
0: Can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess? Can I guess? What Westvale Abbey?
1: Yes. Wow. You know it's pretty pretty easy to, you know, find a field in the first four to four to five turns with this deck. Uh and with most field decks. Uh when you have that one field and you're at, you know, six, you know, say you're at yeah, if you're at five lands and you cast your hour of promise, then you know if you don't have a field, you find field X, otherwise you find XX. One of those lands is Westvale Abbey, you know. You get pretty close to sacrificing it, and especially if you're on six mana with a field, and you just get second field Westvale Abbey, and now you get four zombies immediately. You know, then you, like you, another land drop, and you're making Ormondall the next turn. This card, uh, you know, especially for Mono Black, was uh, tough for me to deal with. Basically, the only card that answers it is Legion's End, which is already good in this matchup, fortunately. And so I think with the you know, growing popularity of field, our mono Black decks need to have more legions ends in the sideboard, two, maybe three. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of my first step moving forward with that deck. But Westvale Abbey is a great way to turn your like mopey first few zombies that you get and maybe, a, you know, a goose and a rejuvenator that are lying around because your opponent hasn't really you know, felt the need to remove them into something that is very threatening. And will you know not only end the game, but will also potentially you know put you out of burn range, uh, you know stabilize in the air while your zombies stabilize on the ground. A lot of the you know the Bant decks when I played against them over the weekend, I was beating them with my flyers, my wrinkles, my smugglers copters. If you're making Ormondal, I'm just not attacking anymore. And so uh, that was a really good find.
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say the first time I looked at it, I saw the Westfall, I was like, oh, that's cute, and then I started thinking about it, I was like. This is actually busted. Like I got, I got excited about it because so I was like, "Oh, it's just something, you know, another mana sink You can make some one ones late in the game, whatever." And I'm like, "Man, I'm thinking way too small, you know. I'm you, you need to dream bigger, you know, when you're when you're messing around with a deck like this." Also, the sideboard looks pretty sweet. There's like some lost legacies in here. There's legions in itself. It's even got one main. You know, you can kind of just like might be able to snipe the mono black deck with that. You know, you got some good planeswalkers and Lillian of last and Ashiok in here. You've got Kalidus. I mean, like this deck just seems great to me, honestly. Yeah,
1: even even these pulses are cool. I think this card pulls double duty. You know, you're going to bring it in against mono red. uh, Maybe, you know, trade off a Rejuvenator early and then buy it back. And you're also going to bring it in against control decks that play field of ruin and that are going to try to destroy your field of the deaths and you just buy that back. Uh, so, you know, really well built deck. This is the best field deck I think I've seen. Um, and the idea, you know, like I said earlier, of blending the p- powerful late game of field with the colors that have the best early game reactive cards, you know, early game disruption in thought Seeds, fatal push, abrupt decay is It just makes too much sense. This is one of those things where I look at it and just like, why didn't I think of
0: this? Yeah, I'm just so stupid, right? Like when you look at it, you're like, I'm I am not smart, and they are very very big brained. Yeah, you know, makes
1: so much sense when once you see it, but like. No one like we're, we're all just so you know narrow-minded and we think, okay, Field of the Dead, it's gonna be Bant. We have all the color, all the tools that we had in the standard version. Let's just build a bant version and like add our revelations or whatever, uh uh-huh, and, and you know, we're done here. It's like no, like you know, the reason they were playing Bant in part was like sort of the combo escape shift. Um, but also because like Bant had the good disruption, you know, because of Teferi and I'm sure there was some other removal. I don't know, maybe they played Oko. I didn't play a lot of standard, but you know, relative to the rest of the yeah, band was just, you know, better positioned, but we've seen pretty consistently in pioneer that this Golgari core of disruption of thoughts, fatal push abrupt decay, and sometimes assassin's trophy is really strong and it's better than the disruptive cores in the other colors. So, you know, let's pair our game engine with those and, you know, that even makes our mana better. We only have to be two colors instead of three when we're playing, you know, four Field of the Dead and a Westvale Abbey. And is there another Colossal land in the deck? No, just those five. But you know, we're, just, playing, just those, yeah. we're playing five colorless lands in our deck. So being a two-color deck is, you know, pretty valuable. It makes our mana even easier to work, especially when we're, you know, downgrading our mana by playing all these weak lands to diversify our, our mana base. So uh, it, it, it just makes too much sense.
0: Yeah, I, I think this deck is a heavy player going forward i like this deck a lot i'm gonna actually sleeve it up myself i ordered my hour promises online already i'm gonna be i own the rest of the deck so i'm gonna be sleeving it up and uh every wednesday night my local store has a uh like a win a box and i'm gonna try to get there like i said it's my birthday i might be going out to eat with my family so i might just be like hey we might have to wait till thursday to go eat daddy daddy needs to play daddy needs to play some pioneer you know, so you
1: <laughs> it's it's, can't really say anything.
0: Yeah, I know. Right. I was going to say, I, I need to feel to dead people. I need it in my life. All right.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of field of the, of the people, you know, the card made some waves early on in the week with a more traditional bant list, taking down the pioneer PTQ.
0: Yep. And we're looking at, like you said, just the traditional bant list, but we've got the very time raveler here. We've got Hydroid Crisis, but again, you're looking at another Hour Promise deck, but this one's got Supreme Verdict, so you're looking at a slightly different version.
1: Yeah, I will say one of the things I like in this version is the Growth Spirals. They really help you you know, ramp hard. The Golgari deck just has the disruption to go along with it, but if you're going to go other colors and not have a lot of early interaction, then having additional ramp effects is really important. Spiral is a perfect one here. Uh, I think Supreme Verdict was just a well-positioned card for the weekend against all the green decks. However... This card is not that, like, it's still fine against the black decks, but it's not great. It certainly doesn't, you know, you know, shut them down. The card that actually got me the one game I lost this deck in two matches was Hour of Revelation, uh, oh. which destroyed all my Smuggler's Copters in addition to my creatures. Yeah, That was a problem.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something that gets you, because, you know, usually, you know, a creature deck is, is preyed upon by a card like Supreme Court, but when you have Mute Vault, when you have Smuggler's Copter, and then most of your threats are recursive you can kind of shrug off the first two or three supreme verdicts in a game
1: yeah but in uh in in game three i thought seized my opponent took their supreme verdict saw they had hour of revelation and stain the minded them when they were on five mana and they had drawn a second copy by the time
0: i stain the minded them so lucky is that is that good i just do i want that is yeah that, mm-hmm. uh so the thing i gotta ask is do you think the Bant version is better than the other version? The other version just looks cooler to me and, like, seems cooler. And, like, it seems like you get more mileage out of your lands, possibly. Though I do like Castle kind of interest quite a bit, which you get in the uh, the Bant version. They've also got Blast Zone in this deck when you don't, you're not making Doll, But those those lands are cool.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, Blast Zone, definitely a cool one. I, would li- I, I mean, to be honest, I, I would like to see a Westvale Abbey in this deck. You know, you can make the mana work. I think Westfell Abbey, even if you had to cut Blast Zone, I would rather have the Abbey, I think.
0: Yeah, it's just like another avenue of the deck, right? Like, yeah. you get you get to do this cool thing where you might just mess somebody up. You know, like, they, they, they don't see that coming, you know, kind of thing. You know, they're not going to be ready for that. Plus, like, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of removal for it yeah. either right now.
1: No, not really. And, and, I mean, there's just not a lot of removal for it in general, right? So... <laughs> it, it just seems great to me. Uh, I, as far as this deck versus the Golgari version, I think this deck is a little is worse against Mono-Black specifically.
0: Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense.
1: Yeah. The cheap removal in the Golgari deck is just super important um, because you know, in order for me to win this matchup, Field of the Dead is going to you know shut down my recursive threats. So actually, recurring them isn't that important. What's important is getting in damage early. Stopping some of your either early ramp or early disruption so I can make sure to get you low by the time the Field of the Dead start you know, churning out enough zombies to lock up the ground and then close out the game in the air. Almost every game I won in the matchup, I closed out with uh, either one before their field engine got online or finished them off with Copter and Rankle. Uh, but so I'll say it's worse there. I think the Bant version is probably better in the mirror between the two. Because it ramps a little bit harder with Arboreal Grazer and Growth Spiral, so you get to the Field of the Dead engine faster. You also have, you know, Supreme Verdict to reset if they happen to, uh, you know, get to it faster and to deal with, you know, their tireless trackers and stuff. Whereas their removal isn't very good against you. Uh, and then you have Sphinx's Revelation that sort of goes over the top of anything they're doing, and probably means like you'd they run out of gas well before you do.
0: So that means that this deck might actually be in a good spot then. You know, if you think people are going to be shifting to something like the black green deck, and if you can make this deck, you know, like you said, like if you can make it to where you're winning uh, enough of your games against black, this deck's in a pretty good spot.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think both decks are good.
0: Yeah, I wanted to point out one cool thing that could happen in this. If you did add, um, I just want to call it Ormendal. If you did have, uh, what's the name of the land? Damn it, the other Westfail end. Abbey. Yeah, if you did add Westfall Abbey to this, Ormendal is indestructible. So it gives you something to kind of like you could throw all your creatures into 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 Ormond doll, untap in Supreme Verdict and attack them. It so just saying, you know, it does it doesn't die to Supreme Verdict. That's actually something pretty cool that could come up in Super Game. That is
1: a really good point and awesome. And just yet another
0: reason to get an Ormond or Westvale Abbey into your deck. Yes, get an Ormond doll in your deck. Just get the Ormond doll in there. <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out somehow. Also, access to Agent of Treachery has always been pretty big in like the like ramp mirror type stuff. You know, you just like
1: Yeah. And the Golgari removals don't really tag nah, this one.
0: The converted mana cost is a little more than three, you know? So,
1: Yeah. I, I think the Golgari decks are going to have to start incorporating Assassin's Trophy for Field Mirrors. Yeah, I
0: mean, just being able to kill Field or something like, you know, a, a big threat as is, well is, is a big deal, yeah.
1: I don't think Autumn or Sam were really expecting to play a lot of Field Mirrors. I don't think there were a ton, but the decks did well, and which is sort of what I expected, and why I added Allegiance Legion's uh, end to my Mono Black sideboard. And we saw Chris Brown have two in his sideboard, so you know, a little bit of forward thinking there. Uh, and I think we'll see more of that moving forward that, but the field decks are, this is your end game.
0: Yeah. And you and I were talking about this before the show. I, I think this is like, you know, we, we've seen pioneer change, you know, week to week, you know, like, you know week one it was like the Golgari mid-range i'm sorry this uh the the Golgari like, was like yeah with jace so the sultai the sultai deck like week one was it and then like that deck just doesn't exist anymore you know we haven't we've seen some other stuff where, like you know we saw and we saw mono black take over in the last week you know the Mono Black aggro decks i think field of the dead especially with our promise is like the next thing and i think that this is the way that gets field of the dead possibly banned in this format if it does happen but i think our promise is one of the more underrated cards it hasn't been like "Quote unquote," broken in this format yet, even though like it does seem to, ha- it it has seemed to be been, been broken. Just it hasn't happened enough to people to realize it yet.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, so. Like Rejuvenator, uh, Hour of Promise, Field of the Dead, you know, is this core, and it gives you this incredibly strong late game. There is you know Smuggler's Copter that is the the you know sort of default card for aggressive decks in the format. Uh, And, you know, so Smuggler's Copter and and cheap creatures of some variety, uh, usually a single color. And then we have the, you know, eight Elves once upon a time do something busted on turns two and three because of Lenore Elves and Elvish Mystic uh, and having them every single game kind of decks. And those three seem to be our tier one at this point.
0: And I I think I think you're right. And you got to figure out, you know, every week I figure out, like, what are you going to play against? you know, which way you want to position yourself. Kind of like you said, you know, at the Invitational, they didn't think they were going to play Field Mirrors, and they were right. And that's why the deck was super well positioned. So you got to figure that out. Yeah. And if that's
1: our tier one, you know, th- there's still some interesting decks on the fringes. And that's the last couple that we're going to talk about. Starting with the fourth place list from the PTQ, this is Hayseed playing a Teamer midrange deck that is also notably uh, very similar to the Teamer midrange deck that Matt Tumovich took to the semifinals of the players Tour qualifier that was held at SCG con on Sunday. Uh, I'm trying to find differences between their lists and it looks like Hayseed has some copies of the Royal Scions that Tumovich did not. Um, but that might be it. It looks like Tumovich had a, had a scavenging ooze and another Elvish mystic instead of those two Royal Scions. Um, and then some, maybe some differences in the sideboard. But even the sideboards look pretty similar. Um, but there's a few differences there as well. So not, not much difference. I imagine that maybe the, either they know each other or Tumovic saw this deck in the PTQ uh, and really liked it and played it over the weekend. I was I was watching him play uh, because I was there birding Todd Anderson, who uh, made yet another deep run in a Pioneer PTQ, another undefeated run in the Swiss. Uh ended up losing the finals in a green devotion mirror to Alex Han, who defeated Tumovic in the top four uh, in a close match. For sure. I watched their third game. It was very close. Uh, this deck is really interesting because, you know, I-, I wasn't sure what was going on when I was watching Matt play with it. But I knew the, the one thing I knew was every single card he played. I liked. I was like, that's a good card. That's a good card. That's a good card. That's a good card.
0: Yeah, there's there's a couple cards in here that you and I talked quite a bit about and that haven't, you know, really shine so far in Pioneer that I think could be in good spots of Wicked Wolf and Glorybringer. Just really good cards on their spot in the curve and that are like super impactful. You know, these cards are going to be eating creatures out of Mono Black or any of the other, you know, creature decks are going to be, you know, killing something as they come in, plus leaving bodies on the battlefield. Not to mention this deck has two Elvish, the the, the version I got fourth, has two Elvish Mystic, four gold uh, Gilded Goose, uh, two Lampard Elves, and four Once Upon a Time. You're pretty much guaranteed to have a one drop on turn one into a planeswalker on turn two, or a good you know kind of play because yeah. you have four bone crushers as well. So in a lot of matchups, you could just play a bone crusher, or you could play Heart of Kirin, and then you can have like Chandra come up behind this. So like like you said, the thing I think I like about this deck is pound for pound, all the cards are very very good.
1: Yeah, really really high rate. So th- this sort of reminds me of the Soul Time Ranger deck that did well early, that has disappeared. But this deck is a lot more proactive it still has the ability to play a long game you know you have you have a bunch of planeswalkers and oko and Chandra, and then the peticulus has the royal scions so you have a lot of ability to generate card advantage there you mentioned glorybringer and wicked wolf they'll both generate card advantage as will bone crusher giant you know you don't have a super high land count but you have a near you're not really going to stumble because of the mana creatures and once upon a time so you know, th- this deck is an, a mid-range deck, but more aggressively slanted, which I like because I want to be proactive, but it's generating a lot of card advantage and its cards line up pretty well against what people are doing in the format. You know, you, your creatures get to play a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense. You know, Questing Beast has Vigilance. Wicked Wolf kills something while, you know, uh, generating something on your side of the battlefield. Same with Glorybringer. Bone Crusher is a, you know, clean two for one. Uh, so there, there is just... So much advantage to be generated that you're gonna you know grind over the course of a game. You have Oko to really help out in these aggressive matchups and make sure you you know gain a life, turn off their smuggler's copter. That was a big thing for me, especially against other green decks. You know, this deck sort of again, like it, it does a pretty good job of dominating the ground, at least eventually. You know, the mono black deck has some pushes, some murderous riders, maybe some sideboard copies of like um, Noxious Grasp. So we can, you know. It can keep the board clear for its smaller creatures for a little while, but eventually you take over, and I've got to go to the air. Oko ensures that you know my rankle only gets one hit. It turns off Smuggler's Copters after they've gotten maybe a hit or two in, uh, and does a really good job of making sure that I can't get those last few points in. So uh, I'm I'm a little scared of this deck. I know he he did beat uh, Tumovich beat a mono black aggro deck in the quarterfinals of his PTQ, so he got he got a match there. This is definitely this is he you know, this deck couldn't really play anger because you're a mana creature deck, but this is a deck that could play Magma Spray if it really wanted to, you know, increase its uh chances against Mono Black, but it also plays things like Stubborn Denial against Hour of Promise. Have you ever gotten
0: your Hour of Promise Stubborn Denialed? That does not feel good. Yeah, that it doesn't sound good. No. Well, see, there's even there's even scavenging uses in the sideboard here, too, for like, I'm assuming, you know, you bring those into the mono black matchup. And if you could snipe a creature here or there, you know, that life gain, the blocker, that might be enough to turn them. on. I also want to point out, you know, what's good about, you know, what I like about this deck for being a three color deck in Pioneer? The mana is great.
1: Yeah, you no, know, it gets to play Botanical Sanctum. So as a fast land that's green. So we have 14 turn one green sources here with four once upon a time. That's a really good number.
0: You got four Stompy Ground, four Steam Vents, four Rebound four Breeding Pool, four Botanical Sanctum. Like, that's just a good mana base, you know, along with, you're looking at four Gilded Goose to kind of make sure you always have your doubles, you know, for bring your Chandra, because the thing is, like, you don't want to play too many lands, like, you don't want to play, like, Mountain in this deck, but you have multiple double red spells, so you to make sure that you can cast your stuff on time, and I, I like this deck a lot. The sideboard looks really... Um, like, pivot You know what I mean? Like, the cyber can pivot in the right way that I like. You know, you have an extra Wicked Wolf here. You have some, like, Aether Gus, you know, a Braids, sustainful Strokes, like, ways to kind of, you know, what am I looking at? What am I trying to stop? Because this is the kind of deck where you just need to stop that, like, one important spell. You know, you, you need to stop that Hour of Promise out of your opponent's deck. Like, that, that's pretty much it. Like, if you stop that, you're going to be able to win the game. Yeah, you're going to to close thing. out pretty quickly. Yeah, and not to mention, there's a, there's a two-oven here that you and I were talking about beforehand. There's two Nissa's Defeat in the sideboard, this is a two and a green mana sorcery that destroys target forest, green enchantment, or green planeswalker. If it was a Nissa planeswalker, draw a card. And we were talking about, like, in a lot of the right matchups, this card is scary. Like, it's stone rain if you need it to be. Otherwise, it destroys something like wilderness reclamation, or, you know, there's not many green enchantments, but there's that. And then you can destroy a green planeswalker. Destroy I mean, if you think if about you it, if you want it to do that, you can destroy, yeah, you can destroy hardened scales, you can destroy Oko. You can destroy all kinds of, you know, big green planes. If, if you destroy with, Nissa with who Nissa's, shakes the world and get to draw that card. <laughs> that's really big. Yeah. I'll say this right now. If you destroy my Nissa who shakes the world with Nissa defeat and draw a card, that's just like rubbing it in. Yeah. Because, like, that's one of those things where when you do this in real life, you point it at, you're like, oh, destroy your thing. And they okay, you go, oh, yeah, draw a card. You kind of you kinda have to, like, put the salt Yeah. In,
1: well, you, you have know? to remind them because otherwise they're going to be like, why are you drawing a card? That can't be right. Like, you've already destroyed my five mana card with your three mana card. Like, that that's
0: it that's got to be it right <laughs> yeah No. nope get to get to get to add in just a little bit so yeah i think this deck's another you know big player going forward i think it's really good um i saw a lot of people like uh, jeff hoogan was streaming a lot of decks where you know you had once upon a time into one mana creatures into uh oko royal scions you know just the three mana planeswalkers that are very good because the thing is, is like if you play this on turn two especially on the play. You know, Royal Scions goes up to six. Oko can go up to six as well. That is so much loyalty. Even like the most aggro of aggro decks cannot kill this card before it gets probably two activations. And that's going to be enough to win you a game a lot of times. Because now the game becomes about dealing with a three mana Planeswalker that's got a bajillion loyalty. Because, you know, they got these numbers wrong. And you're going to be following it up with something like Wicked Wolf behind this. Or Cusher Giant or Heart of Kieran. And that's just so much for them to overcome. You know, heart yeah,
1: this means the game is going to go longer and your more powerful cards are going to have time to generate that value and just dominate the battlefield.
0: Yeah, I like this deck a lot. This is another one, man. Every one of these decks, I keep looking at it, like these are so sweet. I can't wait to play this deck. You know, I wish I had more time to play Pioneer right now. It's like the worst time for me. because I'm having to do a bunch of stuff for work. And all I want to do is play these cool decks for <laughs> Uh
1: Yeah, no, th- this one looks nice. And for those of you that were like disappointed that the Sultai deck didn't really pain out. You know, this is a mid-range deck that you can play. Maybe it's a little bit aggressive for your taste, but, you know, this is not a deck that is going to be ending every game on by turn five. This is a deck where you're going to get to play a lot of magic, make a lot of decisions, play some fun games, but it's going to be a little bit more position-y. Uh, you know, you're not going to be casting your dig through times, but you still got a bunch of Planeswalkers. Uh, I love Heart of Kieran with these high loyalty Planeswalkers, and, you know, you generate a lot of card advantage. This sort of reminds me of teamer energy from standard obviously like, i was just about to say that but it's a very similar kind of strategy so yeah. if you like playing that teamer energy deck this is something that you need to look for we should just call this deck teamer food wicked wolf gilded Goose Oko.
0: yeah you literally took the words out of my mouth i was like waiting for you know my spot to speak and i was like this is just teamer energy is what it is yeah. it plays a lot like that it's got a lot of the the cards that you would play in there just the better versions of them like once upon a time is probably a better attuned than aether if you're not playing the actual energy and like the food is your energy kind of stuff now
1: yeah it's you know this mechanic that lets you play your really uh really good cards and then you know you're you know what you just you just get to play a mid-range deck
0: yeah and let to say on rate i think your cards are just gonna be better than your opponents like your you know your one drops your two drops your three drops and your four drops so there's gonna be better than your opponents almost every time and i think this deck is is really good and you're gonna be seeing this one more going forward also yeah. uh, a cool thing to kind of since i always kind of drop these in a little bit if i can in the shows this is a good time to try to get Oko if you don't own it yet. Uh, the price on that card is going down, and you can probably buy into them a little bit cheaper than you could in the past. And if this deck gets good in Pioneer, the, this card can, you know, stabilize and get even higher uh, and back to where it was, you know, say like a month ago.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I definitely think, we, you know, we saw a lot of Oko early on in Pioneer in the uh, cat combo decks. We haven't really seen a lot of it since Felidar Guardian was banned. This looks like a really good shell for it. It's you know, we've seen it in the Simic Stompy deck. That note deck is a little bit more one note than this one. Uh, so you know, this is this one's really gonna use every part of the Buffalo, making food for all of its, you know, synergies there, obviously the plus one being unbelievably busted, and then I don't know, sometimes you minus five because that just there's extra text on the card for some reason.
0: By the way, I hate that I say all of the buffalo thing now. I hang around with you and hear you <laughs> talk too much. It just sounds like such an old man thing. Speaking of the minus five, so uh, I played a uh, a local Pioneer event over the weekend. Um, myself and Brian Basoka went to our local store and like the you know we had like a like a two hundred or like a three hundred dollar like Pioneer event, right? Um, Basoka I mean, ended up winning I mean, it with shut up. Uh, I think there was like twenty. Nice. Or something. Yeah, it's it's you know good for our local store. Uh, Basoka ended up winning it with uh, your deck we got to, we got oh. to put it together and I had your list oh. obviously the deck was broken i played uh what i deemed mono green tron just cuz like i wanted to play the deck and it looked really Is cool losing deck? It. yeah it's just like four ugin and just like a tons of ways to ramp and stuff like that the deck was like really cool really good um I'll probably post a list on my Twitter at some point this week. I meant to do it the weekend. Pilgrimage
1: it was... and Arborial Grazer, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. No Nissa who shakes the world. Even though the deck had like a million uh, forests or whatever, I just like tried out a different version. It's got a bunch of um, a bunch of Eldrazi in it too. Like it had like two Ulamog, you know, a ton of uh, Walking Ballista and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, there are some lists that splash red for Dragonlord Atarka this
0: deck yeah yeah exactly like yeah there's a red one um i think the red version might actually be better because if you play the red version you could a play field of the dead b you could play um what's the the flashback five damage spell for kozlex return um, like, yeah you can play kozlex return which is really good that right now, sounds I think. really good yeah i have a list i'm gonna probably post it about it on twitter or something this week uh Any a new list in mind
1: world Breaker action to trigger that k return exile i'm playing your four
0: computer. of those i'm playing four of those yeah exile
1: your computer, Feel- deal with everything else
0: yeah, Field of the Dead decks are on the rise. You want to kill their lands. Like, that card is very well positioned right now. For and you exile decks.
1: them. They can't even get them back. That's Yeah, yeah. That's yeah,
0: this deck is actually good. I Yeah, it's another reason I ordered. Yeah, I, I've got a huge burn. I've had one I issue with
1: this, this deck, though. Yes. It looks really slow out of the gates if you don't have Arboreal Grazer.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I the, the version that I ran had a Boreal Grazer and eight elves. Okay, I was here's my creatures. But K-Return also helps that. Yeah, so that's the thing I'm worried about is if you're playing cave return, you can't play you can't play all the elves. So like I'm not sure exactly I want to build it yet. So we'll see. But uh, one of the cool things maybe you just uh, own pressure giants in this deck. Well, yeah, like that's something I was gonna say. I had a cool one this weekend where my opponent had oko in play and had uh, oko at like six or seven loyalty. I was playing against the soltai deck, and I got to immercall them because uh, I'm playing immercalls in my deck too. I got to immercall them. And with their like during their turn, they had out uh, a and a bunch of zombies. I got to eat all of their zombies with the Kalitas, and then I got to give them my Aboreal Grazer for their Kalitas with Oko, killing their Oko, and then running their only other creature into an em- into my Emrakul. And I was like, I've never gotten to like ultimate someone's Planeswalker, killing it and taking their best creature in the in the effort of it. <laughs> and I was like, this was really That's cool. That's nice. And- yeah, it was a sweet one. I had to like pick it up and read it. I was like, I was like, all right, all right. I'm an gonna cool either. Okay. I'm like, I need to read your OK. And they were like, what? I was like? I need to make sure that the targeting thing works this way because the, the three power thing is only for your opponent. Yep.
1: You so, get to give them anything so,
0: you want. And man, they, they just wanted yeah. to give you their giant Kalitas. Yeah. I was just like, hey, man, I just want this. Yeah, it was just, it was just so nice. And it was so cool. But cool plays aside. I think we had one more deck we wanted to talk about. Here. Yeah,
1: that'll be the sixth place list from the Pioneer Challenge. Uh from uh, grilled cheese, yes, right? The name just makes me. Hungry. Notably, the Pioneer Challenge with these happen. Uh, this was on the seventeenth, so this was on Sunday. So everybody sort of seen the deck list from the PTQ and from the Invitational, and we said that Mono Black was the breakout deck from the weekend. And we see first place, my exact list. Second place, um, this is close to my list.
0: One card off in the main.
1: It's one card, and off in the it looks like two cards off in the sideboard. So seventy-two, my seventy-five. Granted, you know my. I was 70 of 75 in the PTQ winning list, so let's not give myself too much credit. Um, and then also in fourth place, we see Mono Black Aggro. This one with Gifted Aetherborn uh, as a four of, actually trimming on Night Market Lookout at Scrappy Scratcher to play Aetherborn. Not a huge fan of that change, though I like Aetherborn as a card. I think this is a good card in Pioneer. Uh, I'm just not sure about raising the curve that high, but if people play a lot specifically of those minus two, minus two effects, this is a card you might want. Also seems like it might be good in the mirror. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, oddly enough, third place was also a mono-black deck. But this was more the Glide, <laughs> Glide Devotion version with Vampires. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, it's just a mono-black party swa- in the top Swamp's putting yeah. in some work. But if we scroll all the way down to sixth place, as you said, Grilled Cheese, playing a deck with a lot of mountains. Now there's a touch of black here, but it's really a mono-red Devotion deck. But not in the way we've really seen before. We're still using Nykthos. Um, but, you know, one of the issues with the Mono Red Devotion deck is there really isn't a lot of great mana sinks, but there's one here, or there's two here actually, that I think are really nice. One is Earthshaker Kenra, really powerful card, just a good aggressive creature, notably a card you can cast on turn two off of Burning Tree Emissary as well, so even though it doesn't add two pips of red devotion, still a really good card, and that Eternalize ability is really powerful, can set up some big swings.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like the other mana sink a lot myself. Yeah,
1: you notice this one?
0: so it's hiding oh yeah it's
1: hiding in the in the aftermath of cut this is ribbons a nice little mana sink just fireball them after casting your removal spell early you know cut deals with a lot of the big green creatures that the simic stompy deck is playing uh deals with questing beast it can deal with glory bringer um you know deals with most creatures that people are playing not a lot of five toughness ones really just love stark beast as, as a major one deals with thing in the ice so cut is a, looks like a solid removal spell here. And then you just get for free on the back end, this ribbons card that does a lot of work in the late game. Uh, you know, this is a deck that looks like it can be aggressive that we see on crop crasher as well. Kendra and on crop crasher were sort of uh, best buds in mono red decks back in their era of standard. Um, we, we do see Chain brawler that card seems great, you know, pretty good against the black aggro deck. I've got, you know, nine, one toughness creatures. In that deck and then three three first strike is hard to attack through um you know obviously good at sweeping up all these mana creatures people are playing so chain roller seems like an underplayed card right now because it doesn't really have a great home this is a good home for it
0: uh, a lot of decks playing a lot of x ones in the format not just mono black almost all the green decks have eight land war elves in them you know it's a big thing here as well uh other things that are cool in this deck there's rixmati reveler in this deck, another card that you can cast off the back end of uh, burning tree emissary you know i like the fact that you just have so many two drops you can cast on it plus late in the game you might be able to spectacle it spectacle it and get a couple extra cards and not to mention a card that when it got printed i thought this would show up in standard and it never ended up doing it. it's wily goblin and this is a pretty cool card in not only does it ramp you but it gives you those two pips of devotion later for your nycthos as well
1: yeah, this is a card that is going to look really unassuming when you cast it, but it's going to enable some of your most explosive turn three and turn four plays. Um, as an underpowered card, I'm still not entirely sold on it, but I like trying it because this is a, this is a card that you know most people in there if they're doing a gatherer search, like okay, I'm playing a red devotion deck, what two drops can I play? They're going to scroll right by this one. You're like, why? Well, I only got one I like that. I never saw playing standard, but this is the kind of card that can really enable a lot of cool synergies. Uh, and in this deck, there are definitely powerful things to enable. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm game. It also sort of helps out your black splash. You know, we got four Temple of Malos, four Blood Crypt, two Dragon Skull Summits, only 10 black sources. You know, when we're trying to Spectacle Rixmati, cast these Exavas, you know, Flashing back Ribbons, you need two black mana, so that can be tough. And then we got some black cards on the sideboard. Four Thoughts, and in a Dress. These are really nice to give you some disruption against slower decks, especially these field decks now. Um, We have three copies of Dreadbore, what I think is a really good removal spell in the format. Doesn't have a great home, but just deals with a lot of different stuff, including these really hard to attack down three-mana Planeswalkers like Oko and Teferi and uh, the Royal Scions. Uh, I kind of like these Leyline of Combustions. I had to read this one, I'll be honest. I've been reading it for the last second or two. I didn't realize that this... I I expected this Red Leyline that they have to be the one that stops people from getting life and for me to chastise them for playing it. But this one is kind of neat because... You know, it gives you that two devotion, which can be hard to come by against heavy removal decks that are killing all your creatures. So this is something that can help out Nick those in those matchups, but it also just punishes decks that are playing a lot of removal. because It says whenever you or at least one permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, Leyland of Combustion deals two damage to that player. So, you know, against a heavy removal deck, you're going to get Four, six, eight, maybe more damage out of this card for something that you invested no mana in, if it was in your opening hand, and want you know does something else for your deck in building your devotion count. That's a pretty powerful effect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a card, like you said, I have to read this one every single time it's in a list. I, I can never remember what this card does. Um, it makes your opponent's thought season take four now as well. If you're playing against a deck like, you know, any kind of the, the Kolgari decks that are trying to one-for-one you out of the game, this just takes that ability of them takes their ability to do that away from them because they're going to take you know so much damage like you said if you take if you get six or eight damage out of this card and you didn't spend mana on it that seems great uh the one thing i don't like about this deck out of the whole thing though i do think it's really cool the mana looks shaky at times you know like i'm going to play four temple of malice in your deck when you're like also playing like on crop crash or or shaker kenra like yeah not not the greatest but uh, you know it works it works enough
1: yeah, I agree. Mana, mana a little shaky.
0: Also, all these, there's like, only, what, 10 sources of black?
1: Yeah, Sorry. 10 sources. Of, you don't have a lot of need for black
0: outside of ribbons. It's also Wily. There's also Wily Goblin, too. I mean, that one, you know, the treasure can go pretty far if you need it. But the thing is, is like, ribbons is black, black. So, like, you need to make sure you have double black for ribbons. So, yeah, But it's
1: also a late game card, you know. You're probably yeah. not casting that before turn six.
0: Hey, I mean hopefully you're you too before turns you can kill on them, but we'll see. Yeah.
1: But um I, I would I kinda wanna see some one drops in this deck that has Earthshaker Kenner, and Encore Crasher. To play into that more aggressive bent. Um, you know, not that many ones. I don't, I don't think you need a ton, but I'd like to see a few. I don't know which one. There's
0: there's plenty. Uh it's got it's got two wild slashes, Th- those count. No, I
1: mean one mana creatures. Things that we can I, I know. Things I know. that we can get through with our, our falter effects. I uh, get some value out of those triggers, at least even in the early game. But this is a, a, it's an interesting deck. We haven't really seen anything like it. And I think we're going to see things like this pop up because we really do have a well-defined metagame at this point. I think it's pretty clear that black aggro, uh, you know, green mana creature decks where Devotion is sort of the top of the category. Um, and then there's Hardened Scales and Simic Stompy and even gruel Stompy a little bit below them. But those variants... Um, and then the Field of the Dead decks, mostly Bant, but with this Golgari deck now rising, that to me is your tier one. And I'll say the, um, uh, you know, behind that, you're looking at, is it Phoenix? That, that deck is still showing up. There was actually two in the seven one or better lists. Uh, we actually played one on versus live today. I played it. it was Lucas Cruz's list, which had three copies of Merfolk Secret Keeper, kind of a weird one.
0: Yeah, that looks really yeah, cool and to me. Sure and
1: five Delve card. cards I had a dig through time in addition to the four uh, Cruises. And I, I was somewhat impressed with the deck. We played it against the Lotus Box Hardened Scales list, and it more than held its own. I won that match. Uh, and I, I was more impressed by that version of the deck than I have been by others, um, just because it found its Phoenixes a little bit more easily. And then, you know, it, enabled its uh, its Delve spells a little bit more easily. And those are the more most powerful elements of your deck outside of Thing in the Ice. And you know, before I felt like the deck was really relying on thing because it didn't enable those elements well enough. But now this version enables all three, so now we've got three pretty good payoffs in our deck. You now that, that that's a good number. That's something that's going to be consistently doing something powerful. So that, uh, I'm I'm turning around a little bit on is it Phoenix? Haven't been a fan of it so far in Pioneer, but that list looked good to me. Uh, something to check out if uh, that's something that you've been trying to do a lot uh, in this format. Uh, what else do we have?
0: You're just. You're just itching for a reason to play that deck, aren't you? Like you're like it just you just you open. You're just like just open the door an inch, like an inch, <laughs> and I'm through it.
1: Everybody's been telling that to, that to me, and I actually disagree. You know, I and I, I love I like Arclight Phoenix. I like you know cheap spe- decks filled with cheap spells, but the, the the Pioneer version is such a downgrade from the modern version. You know, you just have so few one mana spells compared to the, at least like one mana cantrips and you just don't have mana morphers, You don't have faithless looting. Like it, it just doesn't feel like the same deck to me. It feel it always just feels so clunky because I'm so used to the more powerful version. Yeah. Getting to play treasure cruise is really nice. That's a really powerful card. So they have that in their corner, but so far it just feels like it, it feels disappointing for me to play that version after having spent eight months playing a, a much more powerful, consistent version of the deck.
0: Yeah. I get, I can understand that. It's like, you know, If you've played like Legacy Delver your whole life and then you all of a sudden start playing Delver in like modern, you're like, Whoa, this is uh, this is drastically <laughs> different. <laughs>
1: yeah, the Serum Visions card is a lot worse than Brainstorm.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, Wait, <laughs> wait, I can only use my free counterspell on their turn. That, that's weird. It's something like, that. <laughs> Yeah, this is hard. Shit. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> what are we doing here? Where are my gazes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That card's pretty good, but yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, definitely agree with you there. I do still think that deck is cool, it's very good. Uh, speaking back on this red black deck, I think this is a cool deck that you um, that you can you can take and kind of make it your own. Like you can change a card here or there without you know completely changing the deck, and it be good. Also, I think this is like relatively a cheap deck. Like you have Nythos, uh you have Chandra, and what was the other card that has a little bit of money into it? There's like three, I believe. But Nykthos and Chandra are like the two cards. Oh, and uh, Blood Crypt. You know these cards. You know they're double digits in their number. You know they're not single dollar cards, but all of these other cards in this deck, you can you can find these in like the dollar box, you know, at your local store, or even cheaper than that. If you order some of the stuff off of like a SCG or TCG player, you can get this deck pretty damn cheap overall. There's the four thought seasons in the sideboard too, which are uh, you know, not cheap along with the Chandra Awakened Inferno. But overall, I mean this deck is much cheaper than the ones that have a lot of hype behind them. Like if you try to buy into the, like the mono black aggro deck right now, instead of doing it say Friday. You know, especially if you were a part of our Patreon, you would have gotten Ross's list on Thursday or Friday. You know, you could have gotten into that deck a little bit earlier. That deck has, like, doubled in price since this weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, did you see what happened with the scales cards? You know, you mentioned the Lotus Box scales deck. Uh, did did yeah. you see Twitter about trying to find Vivian Arcbow Rangers? Yeah. Why do you think I put Blight Beetle in my sideboard Tanner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this, Ross. But uh, the funniest thing, I actually didn't post the picture because I forgot to, but I had put it up on Twitter. I was like, is it, you know, like the night before the tournament, I was like, would it be rude to post a picture of me just like holding a ton of Vivian Arcbow Rangers? Because like I, I had a bunch of myself, but also my local store just had like 10. And I was going to hold up like just me just fist, like just a fistful of like, you know, like 15 Arcbow Rangers, uh, you know, after... Every like, I I swear I didn't go an hour. I didn't go thirty minutes without seeing someone being like, "Hey, I need like two of these for for the invitational thing." But has got them. Do you see they opened like they bought like six or seven boxes trying to open them? Jesus. Yeah, somebody was like, "Yeah, I had a bunch of store credit. I spent like six hundred store credit on M twenty boxes. They opened a foil one. I mean, you know that's kind of cool because that card's like fifty dollars now when it was like fifteen you know before the tournament and stuff." But, um. That deck I thought was going to be the one we'd be talking about as the breakout deck. It didn't do terrible. You know, they they put up some good results with it. You know, a lot of them made day two and were doing well in Pioneer. Just, it's hard to argue with overall overall the mono black deck, the mono black aggro deck being the breakout deck of this weekend. Just period. It's like the breakout deck, and I think going forward, that is like the aggro deck you have to put your your mind towards when you're when you're building your deck and, and trying to beat the uh, the opposing decks. Maybe your wild slashes should be magma sprays. You know, something along that you need to be able to interact with a uh, smuggler's copter, you know, things like that. So, I think moving forward, you need to have that deck in mind the most if you want to be in the competitive.
1: Uh, like you know, that that right now to me is sort of the deck to beat. You know, green, oh, Devil, green. is still around. Uh, I think people know what it is, but the, you know. If if you have been trying to beat that deck by now, I, I don't know what you're doing. You know, see, you should have a good plan for that deck already. Mono black is the deck that we all know now is great that people probably don't have a great plan for yet. So we're gonna see what the plans are this week. See what people brew up. You know, this weekend's challenge and PTQ that are gonna happen, uh, and, and what happens with there there. But the green decks are now just a known quantity. You know, Todd Anderson's gonna keep playing them until they tell him to stop, <laughs> and he's gonna keep winning with them because they're good. We know they're good, but Model Black is the the quantity that is going to get known over this next week, along with these field decks. Like I said, I think I think that's your tier one of Pioneer at this point, uh, but there's plenty of good tier two options. I mentioned is it Phoenix? I mentioned um, you know some of the Stompy decks. Uh, I think the Azorius Tempo deck had a little bit of a disappointing weekend. I think this deck had a little bit of hype going in, and I thought it was going to be a deck that saw a lot of play, but didn't do that well. It ended up being a deck that saw a medium amount of play and didn't do that well
0: (laughs) and and did medium. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Martin Mueller was playing it and he, you know, did well on camera with it was doing pretty cool. Um, It's one of those decks like people keep winning with it. And, you know, I've taken some draws with it and like played some games with it. I just feel like everyone else's deck is like either, like faster and more congealed than mine is, or they just go way over the top of me?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there are draws where this deck looks really good when you use all your mana and you know, your cards are good. I think Reflector Mage is really good right now. It's particularly good against the Black Aggro deck. Um, you know, You're a Copter deck, which is really nice. Uh, you know, I think Brazen, Brazen Borrower is really impressive to me out of this deck as well. I actually lost this deck in the PTQ. Uh, I went 4-1 in it on Sunday. This was my one loss. Uh, can't remember my opponent's name. They played very well. Uh, you know, very crisp and everything they did sequence really well, very clear that they had a plan for the game the entire time uh, and, and just didn't give me an inch. Uh, and I, I made a, a what I think is a small mistake uh, getting a little greedy in game three. And he soundly punished me for that. But I, I think if this deck ever stumbles and it doesn't really have ways to fix its straws early, so it stumbles actually more often than you might think. Uh, you know, it just falls really far behind, and then its tempo plays aren't that good. You know, it, its big play to catch up is Archangel lavison plus you know Selfless Spirit or Walking Ballista. But if you don't have it to ferry out, by the time you're doing it, it's pretty vulnerable. You know, the black black decks have Murderous Rider and Noxious Grasp. Uh, green decks don't have a ton for it, so that's a, that's a good thing. To, uh, they really just have Walking Ballista. So you, you're but. They're that you know the scales deck can get out of range of it. The green devotion deck can just sort of rebuild quickly or get out of range of it with um, Vivian. So you know that you, you do have to sort of get ahead. And the next curve is really clunky. Um, so you know if you're playing it really well, I think that you know that certainly helps. You know uh, as it does with, with every deck. But this is the kind of deck that I think if you're playing it at you know 95%, it probably looks quite good. But if you're playing it at 85%. It looks a lot worse. This deck is not
0: forgiving. Um, Other things that that came up this weekend that we saw, like, there wasn't much else that we really wanted to hit on. But I will say this. I did see some people playing the other deck that you were championing uh, about a week ago, the Blue Red Scissors deck. And I've seen some changes that have come up. And the one that caught my eye, I saw a lot of people playing Antiquities War. But i got to say, Whirler Rogue actually kind of impressed me. Yeah in a bunch of spots that I saw that people were playing. I'd been
1: playing one Pia thinking that I didn't really want to 4-drop, and I might have been wrong. This card sort of you know does similar things. It's a little bit more powerful. Uh, so I, I would definitely try out the 1 roller Rogue. I think most people that were doing well with this deck, I know uh, Noah Walker made the top 8, and uh, Daryl Ayres played the deck as well, and their lists were pretty similar. I'm not sure if they worked together or talked uh, at all, but they were both playing 4 copies of Skilled Animator, uh, you know, really going up on the insole effect effects because they're you know, obviously very important. Maybe that's something I should have been doing as well. Uh, Antiquities were on the sideboard, so they're they're going a little bit bigger, which I think makes sense once people reacted to the more aggressive version of the deck that I'd been playing. Um, and you know, if your your first insole is likely not to go all the way or get answered, then yeah, like you're going to need some more powerful effects, and that was the changes that they made to the deck. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so. No surprise that they did well. I will say I still don't like Metallic Rebuke in the deck. Um, I think it's often really awkward, so I'd be skeptical of those. But the you know every other change I think they made in the list looks really good to me, uh, and I do think this deck is still good. You know I was a little worried about it being targeted by these green decks. Most of the green decks I saw just had a lot of disenchant effects in their sideboard. I think those numbers might go down now that people are worried about Mono Black. So you might see me switch back onto Isn't Soul. I'll have to you know feel things out. Uh, But this is definitely a deck that is still in my back pocket. If I ever feel like it's well positioned, you know, I'll I'll break it out and I'll cut some people up.
0: (laughs) Nice. I was gonna say, I really liked the changes they made besides World of Rogue with the skilled animator, like you were talking about going up to four. because I played against it in my tournament this weekend. And I felt like the only reason that I won my match against them, because like I do feel like the big mana decks that this deck can kind of just goldfish them for the first few turns and if you can get enough in, you'll be able to finish them off with, you know, uh of Rogue making something unblockable or using Shrapnel Blast to kind of like get those last points of damage in is my opponent didn't draw uh, you know, the the namesake card enough. It didn't draw in Soul Artifact enough. And when you go up to, f- you, you know, you have four of those plus four skilled animator, this gives you eight copies of that card and you're going to draw it more often. And I thought that was a big deal that you know, I never got severely under pressure. You know, if they played a one drop on one, you know, like if they played uh, Bomat Courier or Gingerbrood on one. But I only took one or two on turn two instead of five, you know, if, like from Insul Artifact or something like that. Like they just never happened in the match. And I felt like super far ahead that way. So giving yourself more outs to like your nut draws is definitely really important.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, in this case, Skilled Animator, like, you know, if people are playing a bunch of Disenchants, that's the way you don't get two for one, right? You know, you you can force them to have to kill one of your weaker creatures, and then your smuggler's copter survives, or your bowmet courier survives and draws you a bunch of cards because you made them kill your ginger brute or your hope of gear poor, uh, and you didn't really lose anything. You still got this one three on the ground. That card can do some blocking against the you know red aggro decks black aggro decks. Um, so it, it's certainly not you know it's not nothing. Uh, so animator is a card that it definitely impressed me. Uh, I know when when I played you know three or four. Uh, I got clunked up on them a little bit, but if they, you know, if the metagame is going where they're answering your stuff, I don't you know, like the black aggro deck is good answers to your stuff, especially if they have legions in the sideboard, which is an out to uh, and soul on Darksteel Citadel, uh, which is a little awkward if you have multiple citadels when they just get to double stone rain you. Uh, so be wary of that. Uh, people are going to have legions in because of these field decks, and, and you know it's good in the mirror too, in the, these mono black aggro mirrors. So, uh, you is it in soul players? Definitely be wary of that. Maybe, you know, take more of a chance and put it on something else, uh, if it's going to get Legion's Ended anyway. So, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. diversify, the facility, uh, and, you know, yeah.
1: maybe discard that extra Dark Soul Citadel to a copter <laughs> and and try not to get blown out. But I, I like the way this Pioneer metagame is, is looking. We got some aggro, you know, it's a little bit more aggro centric. We don't really have a true control deck. The Azorius control decks are sort of sitting around the fringe. Um, my, like, They just seem worse to me than like, you know, a a Bant Field deck, you know, Bant Field. Yeah,
0: that's I think that's the big thing. I think that's the big thing right there. Once if if something happens to Field of the Dead, like if it gets banned out of this format as well, I think you might see those decks kind of take its place. It's hard for that deck to beat a Field of the Dead deck.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, what the control deck is doing is basically everything the Field deck is doing, but kind of worse,
0: right? Like, yeah, they don't have that that free end game of yeah. just playing lands. You know, the, you the know, the, ban- the
1: field games. decks get to trump what you're doing after you verdict them, after you get verdicted, or they verdict you. There we go. But, you know, the, the control decks have to keep dealing with your yeah. stuff over and over again until they take like, really full control. Uh, and it's a lot more tedious and, and less consistent of a plan. So, you know, if, if control decks continue to be sort of pushed out of the metagame, we might see a, a field ban. But for now, yeah, I just don't see a real pull to playing them when we have these field decks that do very similar things, get to play even the best cards from the, the control deck. You know, I, I've mentioned multiple times that the reason to be playing Zori's Control is Supreme Verdict. Well, if you really want to be playing Supreme Verdict, just play Banfield.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you. Uh, before we move on to uh, the last little parts of the show, I kind of wanted to give one shout-out to a uh, avid listener and a friend of mine, uh, Sam Berkabile, who made the top four of the invitational this weekend. Uh super great run. If you haven't seen his Pioneer deck, it's really sweet. It's like this green red aggro deck. It's the like eight rabble master, you know, type deck or whatever. Um I thought it was really good. A good call for the weekend. Um if anybody's interested, you can tweet at us and we'll get him to start, I'll start tagging him in it, and let him respond cuz he does have some changes that he would make to the deck. I don't want to spoil them too much. I kind of want to like I don't want to steal his thunder. You know, what I mean, I I talked to him a lot on uh, Facebook about it and stuff. You know, I was like cheering him on in between his rounds. If you were watching the top eight, he had an absurd match where they went to the fifth game. If I I can't remember if he was on the player draw, but he mulliganed to four in the fifth game and just squeaked one out with like a really really sweet Embercleave play. Um, he was playing Glorybringer and uh, Aether Sphere Harvester in his deck. He said both of those were amazing all weekend. He got a, he got to put cleave on an Aether Sphere Harvester in a in a in a game that was like he was behind in the nice. race, and all of a sudden he just gained eight life out of nowhere. Yeah, and it was it was really cool, really fun to watch. Fun guy, like super fun guy. Like uh, if you're ever at an event with him, make sure you go to get a beer with this guy. Like super great guy to hang out with. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, Ross, you'll, you'll, you'll like him. I think, Ross, if you saw him, you'd be like, yeah, I know that guy.
1: Okay, like, yeah. There's, a, there's like a thousand people in the Magic community like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, you would know him. Super great guy. So, super big shout out to him. And then a little bit of shout out to some of our Patreons because we got a lot of stuff going on in our Patreon and over on our Discord. And if you're in our Discord and on our Patreon, uh, we do this little. We have a section in there just for you guys and gals. That's a mailbag submission, and we're gonna actually get into a couple questions tonight because we have enough time. I think we have what three was a. Uh, I three. think it was three. Ross. Yeah. yeah. So I got them. So the first one that we're gonna get into, uh, Ross, I'm gonna let you uh, get the first crack at this one. This one's from an, our editor. It's a little bit long winded. Uh, thanks, Brent. But I'm gonna I'm gonna read it away. anyway. Um, what do you guys do at turns at big events if you're way ahead or way behind? Meaning, you know, the last five turns if you've got time. If you could win on your next turn, do you ask your opponent if they should concede? Likewise, would you concede if they were in the same position? What if a draw would put you into the top eight, but you're way behind? And then, what is your stance, and what is the stance in the community? Um, it's it, you know, try to answer either of these pieces. You don't have to go like super long-winded.
1: When it comes to draws in general, I'm a pre- generally um, if if the match is like super not close. And it's very obvious who's going to win, and they're going to win relatively quickly. But even if they're not going to win super quickly, if it's super obvious who's going to win, uh, I will ask for the concession. I will not expect it at all. If they don't want to give it to me for whatever reason, I won't, you know, I'm not going to press them at all. But I I will literally just ask, like, I think I'm going to win this game. Would you like to concede? Uh, And I'll just leave it at that whatever they say I'm perfectly fine with because everybody has their own prerogative on this. uh, And uh, you know, I'm not going to try to force my view on anyone else. Um, I think the community is a little bit, especially the the sort of grinder level of the community is a lot more pro, you know, concede all the time than not concede. It's a little weird to me, um, you know, uh, to me, like, especially towards the end of the tournament, you know, that draw could mean somebody else top eight. So like, who are we to, you know, decide who does it just because that person is across from us. Uh, so I, I'm much less pro, you know, always concede than a lot of my peers. Uh, at least that's my thought. Um, as far as, you know, the, the situation where like a draw is actively good for me, Obviously, I'm not going to try to slow play for the draw. Uh, you know, I might play more defensively because I know a draw is good for me. You know, I might make de- gameplay decisions that are more defensive rather than you know more aggressive, even though I think I'm a little bit more likely to win. Uh, you know, I'll I'll play not to lose that way. But obviously, like I won't slow down my pace of play. And in general, like you know, I, I'm going to play a little bit faster than I otherwise would if I know we're starting a third game with say 15 minutes or less on the clock. Um, and I, I, I'll, and if we're starting with less than that, I'll, I'll play pretty fast and I'll urge my opponent to do too. So I'll do what I can to try to finish a game and have it come to its natural conclusion, but I'm not going to always concede. And in particular, if I think my opponent, even if I've provoked them a few times, and especially if I have, uh, if I think they've played at a very slow pace and not made you know, an effort to have the game come to its natural conclusion in time, I'm much less likely to concede to them, even if they are quite far ahead.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I agree with everything. Uh, one of the things I, I'd like to add is whatever you're you have to come to the same agreement right at the end of the match. You know, if you're going to run out of time, it's like either we're conceding or we're drawing or whatever. Um, respect whatever decision your opponent makes. You yeah, don't make a scene. Don't don't be mean. Don't don't push for anything extra. Just be respectful. Yeah. All right. right.
1: By the rules of the tournament, you have to finish the match. If you didn't like yes. you don't deserve the the concession. Yeah. If they give it to you, they are doing you a favor.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so we got a second question here of the, of the three. Uh, it says post sideboard, uh, how much do you mulligan for hate pieces versus just trying to play out strategy? I'm going to take the first shot at this one and then you can kind of go this into this one's over. from
1: Navier, by the way.
0: Oh, Navier. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Um, So I think it's important to understand exactly what it is you're trying to do here before you go like ham on just mulliganing for hate pieces. Like good example, you're you're playing legacy. um, You are a force of will deck. And you were playing against Goblin Char- Charbelger. I will mulligan to three. I may mulligan to two, because like I'm not winning without a force of will on the draw. Like you are you are going to die a high percent of the time without playing a spell. So I think what it what it comes down to is how important is the hate piece. You know, is it rest in peace versus a dredge deck? You know what I mean? Just something along those lines. Where for me to be very aggressive and mulligan for hate pieces, the hate piece has to be a KO in the matchup. I mean like. I'm practically going to win the game because I have this card. Especially with the London Mulligan now helping out a little bit more, you can maybe be even a little bit more aggressive with it because your hands are generally going to be more functional even going down to four. You could be like, all right, keep the hate piece, you know, keep two lands on a spell, you know, kind of thing. So I think you need to be honest with it with like how impactful that sideboard card is. But if it's a game that's going to play out quite a bit, I don't think you need to be like as aggressive.
1: Yeah, um, I think those are both good points. You know, the 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 power of the card that you're mulliganing for is one variable in the equation and that line is very high i agree it has to be incredibly powerful for you to mulligan aggressively for it because you're sacrificing a lot in order to you know slightly increase your chances of having it so its its impact has to be very high um the length of the game also very important you know if it's going to go long you have more chance to just find it naturally off the top of your deck uh, i think the other aspect the other variable major variable in the equation for me is how good your matchup is You know, if my matchup's already good, there's no need for me to have to mulligan for high impact cards. Uh, You know, um, I can just play out my, the the matchup being good is a sign that my normal strategy is already good enough. So there's no reason for me to interrupt it that much to have, you know, a a piece of hate. Um, So, you know, the the mulligan for hate pieces plan, that's a sign of desperation. You know, it's a sign that this is the only thing I can do. I absolutely need this card. Like you said, you know, having Force of Will on the draw. You know, if you're on the play, a solid hand with a days perfectly fine. You know, if you, if you have Delver days and Ponder, two lands, you know, two other cards, easy keep. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, on the draw get, gets a lot harder. I think um, this question sort of suggests to me that they might be mulliganing too aggressively for these hate cards uh, because I think people overestimate how effective they really are. You know, they, they will shut down a strategy, but they won't shut it down forever. And if you mulligan to you know five, four or lower then your strategy is also going to get shut down for quite a bit because your hand is not going to be very good. You know, the London mulligan has changed the calculus a little bit. You know, I'll mulligan more aggressively now that the London mulligan is around because it's just not as you know much of a sacrifice. But you know, you've got to kill them. You know, no no hate card really does say I win the game, especially post board if your opponent knows it's coming. You know, sometimes people just say, you know, don't come prepared for a worship. Or, you know, for a little while, Storm decks didn't have a main deck answer to meddling mage because humans wasn't a deck. And Collins Mullen was like, Well, look at this humans deck. And just like had one he got one weekend where he just ran through people. Um, and yeah, like maybe if he knew he was playing Storm at that point, yeah, I would mulligan pretty aggressively for meddling mage. But that's not something that happens outside of very specific scenarios. So if you're talking about, you know, a general um you know mantra that you can apply you know try to play your own strategy and play it well um and, and save the you know aggressive mulliganing for those kinds of cards um for you know for very specific scenarios where you're pretty desperate that said i will aggressively mulligan for you know certain types of draws you know, if if I really need to be aggressive in a matchup, you know I'll Mulligan a reasonable hand that doesn't really have a two drop but only has a good one drop. If I like really need an answer to a turn one elf in a matchup, I'll Mulligan more aggressively for a fatal push, things like that. So those sort of of tactical things that are important in a matchup are much more in my forefront when I'm making Mulligan decisions than you know individual hate cards that I think are powerful out of my sideboard.
0: Yeah, great, great answers. And we have a third question. From Alligator, it's uh, what are some tips you guys have in terms of grinding the SEG tour in the most cost effective way? Um, I, I guess I'll start again. Um, so w- one thing you could do, this is a little different for me than some people because I have if I go to an SEG tour event, 90 um, something, literal 90 something percent of the time I have to fly. So um, I do not get to kind of pile a bunch of people into a car and make it cost effective that way. So that is one thing you could be doing is making sure you're carpooling to whatever. It it's also just good for the environment. So also do that. But for me, um, I try to book my ticket in the middle of the week. You know, like they're talking about, like it's like Tuesday, Wednesday or generally days to book tickets. Also, yeah, also weeks and weeks in advance. You are talking like possibly months in advance. If you know you're going to an event, try to book your flight ahead of time. It's going to be cheaper that way. And honestly, I hear a lot of people complain about these airlines and they're not as bad as people make it out to be. You can use the cheaper airlines. You know, I'm talking about something like your Spirits or um, Frontier or something like that. The thing is, you have to understand everything that you do beyond bringing your person and your personal item on the plane is going to cost you money. And I mean, literally everything. If you want water when you're on the plane, they are going to charge you for it. So on a lot of these trips that I'm flying there, I'm just bringing my backpack for the weekend. You know, I've got uh, my change of clothes in there, m- you know, my jersey, whatever it is, my decks, I'm good to go. Because I-, I can I can play out of just one backpack. You know, you can bring a bigger backpack. They they don't usually care about that. You can bring a bigger one and pack everything in there. So that's gonna save you some money there. Um, if if this isn't a problem for you in any way, you know, get some extra people in your hotel room. You know, wherever you're staying, you know, cutting the costs that way uh, is definitely gonna help out. Also getting somewhere close to the site helps out a lot. Cuts down an Uber, cuts down an extra driving, cuts down on parking. As well, you don't have to park at two different places. You can just walk. You know, you can park your car with them because a lot of these sites that you're going to, you have to park at your, wherever you're you're staying. Plus, you have to park at the event that you're playing at, and that's extra money there and stuff like that. So just be a little uh, just be a little careful about you know where yeah. you spread yeah, your
1: uh, money. Out. The, the staying near the site, you do have to weigh against you know the cost of the hotel, uh, which tend to be more expensive yeah, near course. the site. I will say, uh, as far as hotel booking, I I use a lot of Priceline. And if you do the uh, express deals, if you're willing to just sit you know, at your computer for a solid half hour to an hour, you can go through and you know, cross-check based on what they say the price used to be, the star rating of the hotel, the neighborhood it's in, and the amenities, and you can figure out which hotel it is. I've been wrong exactly twice, and I've been doing it for five years. <laughs> so... And, and one time when I was wrong, it was better than I thought it was. So I, I was wrong in the right way. So I've only ever been punished
0: once. One, th- one thing to add on to that, too, that I, that I forgot to say, make sure you join all of the, you know, the clubs or whatever it is, like the rewards programs. Like, you know, always book through what is it, Priceline, you know, like if you use it a certain amount of time, yeah. sometimes you get a little extra here or there, Hotels.com. Um, make sure you're always doing uh, frequent flyer miles whatever multiple events last year i was like man these tickets are so absurd like there was one of the ones uh one of the team events we were talking about last year i thought about not going and i was like oh wait no i could use miles you know because the otherwise it was just going to be way too i was going to pay like 700 dollars to go to the event or something like that like total you know i mean my flight was going to be like four or five hundred and i was like man if we don't like make the finals (laughs) of losing money or whatever at this event you know and so just stuff like that um also, you can kind of you can kind of uh, gauge your trip ahead of time as well. You can see where you're staying and you can see like the price of everything that's around you. Like, hey, if I go like one mile out, the hotels drop by a considerable amount. I go one mile out. The restaurants become a little more affordable. You know, uh, you, you can look ahead of time so you don't get stuck somewhere where like, you know, your average plate is 20 to 30 dollars. You can go somewhere the average plate is 10 to 20 dollars.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, do your homework on, on restaurants. You can usually find pretty affordable ones. Um you know, I would bring a lot of snacks if you can. Uh, most convention centers these days will let you in, even yeah. the ones that the oh. food's
0: terrible. The food's terrible and too expensive. Yeah, you can you Sorry. can
1: sneak it in. I, I snuck some RX bars into the Berglund Center this weekend. <laughs> like yeah, I had them. Ross, in my you worked for Star Uh, you know the Berglund Center is one of the ones that actually is pretty bad about you know checking your bag and make sure you don't bring outside food. But I just had two RX bars just in my inside jacket pocket, and they they don't pat you down. And so I brought him in, I you know saved myself five dollars on a horrible convention center pretzel. Um, but I, I think I think people tend to know a lot of these things. I don't think a lot of people use some of the online aggregators as effectively as they should. so that's good information. Um, the one thing I will say with hotels in my experience, like, You get what you pay for. Um, Oh, yeah. You can usually find some good cheap ones, but look at the reviews, and if they're below a seven, I would really not advise staying there, like, unless you really can't afford it, like, really try to spend the extra, like, $20 to get up to ones that are at least well reviewed, but, like, a two-star, you know, because it's not like every Red Roof Inn is really bad, but there are some that are really bad, and there are some that are fine. I know,
0: I will pay a lot extra to, to make sure I feel safe where I'm stay where I'm sleeping. And I don't have to worry about my stuff being stolen or something. But
1: you the, the reviews are, are pretty accurate. Uh, the line I usually have is seven. I, I, I try to see if I can find one with that's eight or higher because I've basically never had a bad experience. If it's eight or higher, seven or eight is likely good. Occasionally not, but below seven, it's a really hit or miss Um, with hotels in my experience. Uh, the one thing I will say about trying to be more affordable, I think, we, you know, uh, I think most of the time you're driving, uh, so you know, bring snacks with you and, and do it that way. But in a general sense, I don't think most people realize how easy it is to get at least some th- sponsorship from your local stores. You know, we, you think about sponsorship as like them giving you some amount of money. You can start even lower than that. The first sponsorship deal I had with my local store uh, when I was grinding the SCG tour early in 2012 was just borrowing cards from them. Yeah, uh, you know, I wore their shirt and they let me borrow cards. And I, you know,
0: hold on real quick. Was this the Ice City? Uh, ice Imports, imports yes.
1: They, it, it eventually ice grew imports, okay. into a monetary sponsorship that was pretty lucrative for me uh, for a few years until I moved to SCG. But it started with just, hey, like, I don't own a lot of modern cards and I'm trying to play these modern tournaments. Uh, you know, can, can you help me out here? And, you know, he was willing to do that. Uh, I had, you know, a friend of mine working at the store, so I, I had somebody vouch for me, which was nice. Uh, but I'd also, you know, I had some results to speak of at that point, but if you're a team, you know, say you've got some, you know, three or four people with you that you, you've already gotten to travel with you to, to events to defray costs and you're going to a good number of opens, like ask to like, you know, wear shirts to rep the, that store, especially if you're going to the opens that are relatively near you, because that's going to be people that might be in that town and go to that store. Um, and you know, start with something small, and be like, and you know, if they need you to like sign something, I don't know. Obviously, like, be responsible about that stuff, but you know, make sure that if they're protected, so they're not going to lose their inventory. But and don't go crazy with it. Don't be borrowing you know millions of dollars worth of cards. Uh, but that might be something that helps you defray costs, and not only helps you defray costs, but opens up a wider range of decks that you you know, might not have been available to you because you didn't have the cards. That might then, you know, be a virtuous cycle. It'll improve your results because you're making better deck choices. And, you know, that makes it easier for you to, you know, get a little bit more out of that sponsorship deal, or then, you know, maybe work into content creation for something like that. Um, Because, you know, even the best of us don't, you know, make all of our money out of tournament results. So like there's not a ton of money in in tournaments. So ultimately, like if you want to do this a lot, you got to sort of branch out, but You know, getting consistent money or getting consistent access to cards, which is like probably as good as a certain amount of money. I mean, I'm sure we all spend some amount on cards last minute, especially before tournaments. You know, that can be really helpful. So if you have a local store, especially one that you've, you know, uh, patronized for a while, they know you, they trust you, you know, that might be an avenue that you should explore. Talk to them. See if you can work something out. You know, maybe, maybe even if they can't give you cards, maybe they give you sleeves to rep, you know, a shirt. You know, sleeves cost, you know, if you're using a new pack of sleeves every two or three events, you know, that, that adds up over the course of a year. That'll save you a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, I say it can't hurt to ask, right? Like what's the worst that can happen is they tell you no. And at least you put yourself out there. You know, that's not a bad idea. And then you can just move on to the next thing. You know, definitely, definitely try out. That's actually an avenue I wasn't even thinking of when it came to this question uh as well say i think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover for this week uh i'm really interested to see what's going to happen online this weekend like how people are going to um you know kind of adjust to what the metagame has done you know adjust to the mono black aggro the decks like that like see what we're gonna you know see what we're gonna have going forward and i gotta say this something that i'm super excited about is we're still seeing new decks every week you know we're still seeing decks that like oh this wasn't really a deck you know last week the week before you know this the format hasn't started to even get stale a little bit yet me there's still a lot of stuff going on people are still trying to beat each other and like brewing and coming up with cool exciting things. so i'm super excited to uh, listen to that so ross if people wanted to hear some more of your musings about pioneer or see you play or read any of your stuff where could they go to do that
1: okay first thing you're gonna want to go to twitter.com and go to uh, at ross hunted's that's R O S S H U N N E D S. You can follow me there. Uh, I post a lot of stuff. Uh, you can you know ask me questions there. I try to get back to people as much as I can. Uh, so that's the first thing I'd recommend. I also have a weekly column on starcitygames.com that goes up on Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. This week's column is about mono black aggro. So, if you're interested in that deck, you're going to want to check that out. There's a nice little juicy cyborg guide at the end that covers, I think, 10 matchups across the metagame. So,
0: that's, fairly that's worth the subscription. That's worth the subscription right there.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, th- that's one to check out that is on the premium side of starcitygames.com. Um, I also host versus live twice a week. That's one to 4 PM, uh, Eastern time at twitch.tv slash star city games. Same place you go to watch, uh, opens on the weekends. We do it during the week. That's me and Corey Baumeister, uh, usually play on, you know, just whatever formats are relevant. We did a little, uh, pioneer on today's show on Thursday show. We're going actually going to be doing post band standard uh get some results from twitch rivals going on this week so uh we'll play around with that and see what's going on now that oko and once upon a time and veil of summer are no longer in that format so you're going to want to check us out uh twice a week if you can do it live that's one to four but those shows also get posted to youtube every tuesday show goes up the following friday and every thursday show goes up the following monday so you can check us out on the star city games youtube channel as well if you're not able to see us live
0: Absolutely, and if you wanted to find anything more of mine, you can follow me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace, and uh, I tweet a lot on there. I'm also on Twitter at Cast Pioneer. Ross is on there quite a bit too. Um, that is our actual podcast uh, Twitter. So a lot of things go on there, retweeting a lot, of get deck lists, uh, interacting a little bit with the the community and stuff like that. So if you like just all things Pioneer, which if you're listening to the show, I assume you do, make sure you follow us at Cast Pioneer. Also, we mentioned on the show we have a Discord. Uh, if you go to the Twitter, there's a link in there um, that can get you into there. We have hundreds of people in the Discord already. It is quite active. Uh, I cannot keep up with it ever, and I'm on the line way too much. And uh, you know. <laughs> there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, I, 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 it's really funny. So we have a lot of different sections in the uh, Discord. You know, you could talk about Standard. You could talk about Modern. You could talk about Legacy, Pioneer, cool stuff. There's a video game section. There's a TV section. The sports section. Ross and I are probably a little too active in the sports section uh, quite a bit, especially lately with Ross yelling about the Utah Jazz.
1: Let's not, not talk about section. the Utah Jazz right now. we yeah, 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 so. a couple games in a row to teams they shouldn't have. Right.
0: Hey, hey, early in the season, a lot of games left, a lot of games left. But if you want to be on the Discord, a lot of cool things going on there. Also, you might have heard us mention that these questions that we did in the mailbag mailbag section came from the Discord. So there's a couple channels in the Discord, you can only get into if you're a Patreon. There's the Patreon section and the mailbag uh, submission section where you get a little more personal touch from, from me and Ross and our editor and stuff like that. You get, uh, we definitely a little more active in there when we can be. And you might get your name read on the show and your question read on the show. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Uh, we'd really appreciate all the help that we get on there. We've got a ton of Patreons already right now. We have two levels. We have a two and a $5 tier. Um... We have all, some
1: per month, not per show, but Yeah, it's
0: per month, not per show. Yeah, per month, not per show. Uh, that's a good point. Um, we have a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of perks for each of them. You can go in there and check that out. A lot of stuff coming in the future, too. We got a couple of little things up our sleeve that we're working on. Um, I don't know if we're going to get it done before the end of the year, the cool things that we have working it, but I'm, I'm looking to have a lot of it done by the new year. A lot of cool stuff going on with that. We should have another tier uh, very, very soon as well. Some cool stuff in there. Doesn't cost you very much, you know. If you take take one less coffee a month, you could help us make the show as the best we can. Uh, Brent, our editor, does a lot of hard work on the show at a lot of odd hours. Like we're it's what nine twenty. Uh, he and I are in the same uh, zip code. Range. It's nine twenty p.m. right now. He's going to try to finish the show tonight so we can get it out Wednesday morning and stuff. So Tannen is really mean to him. I am so mean to him. <laughs> Just so mean. Like really mean. Yeah, I, I can't decide. Sometimes I want to be mean to him and other times I want to be like the guy in office space. I just talk to him and be like, uh, yeah, Brent, I'm going to need you to finish the episode um, yeah. yesterday. I'm going to need you to
1: edit this six-hour episode. We finished at three in the morning right now.
0: Yeah, I'd start calling him because I have his personal phone. number. <laughs> yeah. just keep calling him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, can I you have, do that for me? I have a life, Tannen. No, but anyway, I'm really not that mean to him. He's actually really great. I, I love our editor. He's pretty great. He's also very, very active in the, uh, in the Discord. And he's very funny as well he's like i actually uh, read a lot of his stuff and giggle quite a bit to myself so make sure you join us on discord you don't have to uh you know contribute to our patreon but we'd really really appreciate it and uh, we appreciate everyone that's already doing that so everyone that's in there thank you so much for the support the amount of support we've gotten so far from the show we're what like technically five episodes in has been unbe- yeah. unbelievable so far so basically a month yeah. From the bottom of my heart and the bottom of Ross's, whatever he has for a heart, thank you so much. We really appreciate everything you, that y'all have done for us. Uh, we're still, you may have heard us mention it, we're still trying to work on a really cool special episode again sometime soon. We've had some scheduling conflicts. The person we we're trying to do ended up like moving across the country and having a bunch of stuff going on, so we're trying to have a really cool uh, like one-of-a-kind episode coming up sometime soon, so look for that as an extra episode uh, one week, and... Uh, yeah, thanks again for everything y'all have done, but I think that's going to be it for us this week, so for Ross and for myself, thank you very much for listening and we'll see y'all next week.